everyone, and welcome back to the People Project Podcast. I am your host, Kelsey Alexander, and each week I will be bringing you episodes on different topics that affect us all in different ways, internally, externally, or sometimes both. Because as you know, I started this podcast to talk about people because I feel like everyone has a story worthy of being told. So this week, um, I am joined by my friend Jacob, and the topic is on the intangible impact of like books and literature. Um, because if you know me, you know I'm a big reader. I love to read. I'm always reading something. Um, and it's just like always just been a thing for me. It's always, you know, like my, my mom and my grandma were both English teachers. Um, so it was just kind of a part of who I am. And, you know, like there are scientific impacts of, you know, reading on your mind and your body, you know, it, um, so here's some things that I, I discovered in my research before we get to my, um, interview with Jacob. So one thing is that um, reading brings um, neural pathways in your brain to life. Um, and, you know, reading things like some super huge nonfiction book or complex poetry or anything like that, um, it helps your your brain stay elastic and active. So, like, reading things differently than, like, what you always read. Um, and, you know, frequent brain exercise, such as reading, decreases um, the mental decline for elderly people by 32%. Um, it has been proven. And um, when you read a book, you have to remember a lot of things. Um, you know, you have to keep up with the plot and the characters and, you know, the different um, things that are going on in the story. And so um, they're all new memories in your brain and new synapses are being created and existing ones are being strengthened. So your brain's short-term memory and ability to recall things um, improves. And then um, other things include um, depressed patients um, in the mental health world um, showed positive improvement when they were reading stories aloud. Um, and, you know, obviously, depending on the story. And then um, also in the case of depression, self-help books are the best type because people with severe depression benefit greater from a low-intensity intervention. And self-help books kind of fit into this category. Um, so not only does reading them help patients with depression, but the topic also adds a benefit. Um, and researchers have demonstrated that reading can reduce stress by around 68%. Um, and then elderly patients who regularly played mentally challenging games or read books um, were two and a half times less likely to develop Alzheimer's. And um, something that this I have learned recently is that creating a bedtime ritual like reading before bed signals to your body that it's time to wind down and go to sleep. Um so, but this actually only applies to like real books. Um, you know, when you're looking at a screen like a tablet or your phone or an e-reader, it can actually keep you awake longer and hurt your sleep. Um, but yeah, if you have a bedtime ritual of like y your body knows, oh, we read for like an hour before bed, like your body's going to get used to that. Um, and then um, with children's brains, um, you know, children who read are better able to grab, grasp um, different abstract concepts you know, apply logic, recognize cause and effect, use good judgment. Um, and, you know, it has been shown that students who are exposed to reading prior to preschool are more likely to do well in all facets of formal education. And um, a children's book exposes your child to 50% more words than watching a television show. So um, a couple other things, um, you know, of how reading can help in real life, according to um, 
to my research. And of course, if you would like more information on all of this, I'm happy to share my sources with you. Um, but researchers have recently discovered that some of um, those who read about characters doing something are more likely to actually do that activity in real life, like something they find inspiring, whatever. Um, and so it means that you're more motivated to ask your employer for a raise or complete something on your bucket list or, you know, shoot your shot, you know, whatever. And then if you identify with a character in a book, it also helps you to experience the type of real life relationship you would experience with a real person. That, you know, whether it's fiction, whether it's something for school, whether it's something for work or whether it's just like reading things online, I think it's I think reading is very beneficial to everyone. And, you know, that's something that you'll hear me and Jacob get into a little bit. Um, you'll learn <laughs> that like my taste in books is very different than Jacob's um, and our, I guess, viewpoints on life are very different as well. Um, similar in certain areas, but um, as a whole, very different. Um, but that's part of the beauty of this podcast, right? Is this is an opportunity to learn from people that are different from myself and from yourself, um, whoever's listening on here. So with that being said, I'm going to stop yammering and we will get to my interview with Jacob. All right, everyone. And now I am joined by my friend, Jacob. Hello, Jacob. Hello. I didn't know if I was supposed to talk there, but yes, hello. Yes. <laughs> I was saying hello you. said you were going to do an intro, so I figured I was going to have to be That was the quiet. intro. That was the intro. I was introducing you. That was one heck of an intro. Beautiful intro. Couldn't, couldn't have done it better myself. Thank you so much. Um, so everyone knows your name is Jacob um, now. So if you would like to just give a little bit of information about yourself um, and, you know, kind of what you do, just like, you know, high level, you can give away as much or as little as you'd like. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm real mysterious. Um, yeah. My name is Jacob. I am a public educator for the last, oh God, uh, going on 12 years now. Wow. Um, i born and raised in South Louisiana. I still live in South Louisiana. And um, I'm incredibly pessimistic. You know, I, everyone's I, favorite disappointed dad is that's Jacob. Me. That's probably but, bad. That, like when that someone says, tell me something about yourself. I'm like, well, I'm real depressed. Um, <laughs> I should probably work on that. But you're, hey, you know what? Step one, self-awareness. And you've got that. You're there. I, I, I might have too much self-awareness. I mean, is that a thing? As we get into this list of books, you might see that I am crippled by self-awareness. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> like I have effectively hobbled myself like uh, Kathy Bates does in uh, oh my God. Misery. Right. <laughs> Great. You know, she puts a block of wood between the guy's feet. Mm -hmm. She clubs him. Mm -hmm. That's you. I did that, but with books. Great. Great. <laughs> well, um, so everyone, we are here to talk about, um, you know, of course, as Jacob said, books, um, honestly, really like the, the intangible impact of books, you know, like everybody's read something before, whether like you were forced to when you were in school or, you know, you're like myself, like Jacob, like you enjoy reading, you enjoy doing things like that um and so that's something that's always interested me is whether it's like a fiction book nonfiction book like the impact that it has on on myself on other people and especially over the last couple of years um where people have really started to 
want to expand their horizons on different topics and uh, gain more knowledge about things. Um, I've, you know, gotten more into reading nonfiction than I was in the past. So each of us have written kind of a list of um, books that changed our lives. I, um, I said five books. Um, I broke my own rule, but Jacob stuck to it. So good for Jacob. Um, so, <laughs> so before we get into that, um, I do want to ask you, so in, in your opinion, mm-hmm. what would you say is like the largest intangible impact of books and reading? I, I mean, I think, and working in public education, both on the middle school level and then up to the high school level, I really think one of the big impacts of reading, especially when you're younger and especially reading fiction, is it helps people build empathy mm-hmm. um, because you empathy is, you know, between empathy and sympathy, you're supposed to think of things from your own perspective and think about things from someone else's perspective. And when right. you read books, you literally have to, especially fiction, you mm-hmm. you have to read something from someone else's perspective. So it, right. it, it literally forces you to think about how somebody else might feel about something. Mm-hmm. And um, I've always had listen. this very, yeah, I've always had this very low stakes theory that the reason that, um, the seemingly, this is such an old man thing to say, but seemingly like the newest generation of kids are so bad at empathy is because they don't read as much. And I don't mean like they can't read like the fall of Western civilization bullshit. I'm not going to cuss. I'm going to work on it real hard. No, it's um, fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, but they just don't read. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't read as much as I used to either. And it's not just that I'm older and, you know, got a kid and all those other things. It's that there's so many more distractions now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest uh, impact that reading has is it, it helps build empathy in a person mm-hmm. um, from a young age. And then as you get older, I mean, I know so many people, even quite frankly, in the field of education um, that I've met over the years that they just stop learning, um, which seems insane yeah. that an educator would stop learning, but they do. Yeah. Um, and learn, reading is one of the best ways to learn things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to because, absorb well, information. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like watching a video is a very passive act. You don't have to exercise your brain to watch a video mm-hmm. right. uh, unless you're really thinking about it. Mm-hmm. It can kind of wash over you like the tide. But yeah. when you're reading, you have to engage with the text. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, you it's can't just exercise. like you can't absently read. Like, I mean, you can't yeah. like I mean, like I've read things before where I've like had to go back and be like, I didn't take in any of that information because I was just like glossing over it. But right. That's, that's your point. I didn't take in any of that information, but you know, you're sitting watching a video on YouTube or something like six minutes have gone by and you're just like, all right, well on to the next one, I guess. I mean, you know, that's how I feel about audiobooks too. I know some people love audiobooks, but Mm -hmm. like I can't even do e-readers because for some reason, like something being on a screen, Mm -hmm. I just, I do not digest it. I need to like turn the, like that tactile turning mm-hmm. of the pages probably because I grew up reading that way yeah I can't yeah. read on an e-reader I can't do books like I have a podcast that I absolutely love um called blowback mm-hmm. that is just chock-a-block full of information and when I listen to it I have to like just listen to it yeah um, for that reason because mm-hmm. it's so hard to focus and just to let them talk and you're not paying attention right yeah um, see most yeah. of the podcasts that I listen to they have to be more like conversational um, because I feel like I can, like, I can hear that better. Like, you know, if I'm driving or something, 
Like if it's like a conversational podcast, like it's easier for me to take in that information. Whereas if it's like one person that's just talking and like sharing the information, it's like, I have to like stop and go back like with an, with an audiobook. like it'll, it will take me so long to get through an audiobook because I have to stop and go back. Cause I'm like, I was thinking about something else. I have no idea what just happened. Um, and you know, I have to go back and, um, which I, it's funny because I think that's part of why I enjoy with, with this podcast, like having conversations with people, because that's how I take in information best. And I find, you know, most entertaining. And of course, like in episodes, you know, like this one, you know, I, I put in a little bit of like research information in the beginning, but I try to not let that be, um, like too lengthy because I know that, you know, anybody that's like me, it's going to be like, okay, like I haven't paid attention to any of this because, you know, like I just haven't taken it in. So with that being said, would you like to get into your list of books? Yeah. So how exactly do you want to do this? Cause I literally did them in the order they impacted me. Like I just did them chronologically. Maybe that's just the history teacher in me. Also, (laughs) I I hate trying to rank top fives because once you get into the top five, I feel like they're the, it's the top five. Any one of them could be Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mine are not in any, like mine aren't like, you know, like ranked in order of importance or anything. It's just like, these books mean something to me. It's like, like they're what I thought of. And then I have kind of of like reasoning. Like when, even when I talk about music or movies or something, Mm -hmm. I never say like the best, whatever of Mm -hmm. the decade or whatever, because it just seems like such a subjective pointless thing. Whereas like you could have a much more constructive conversation with someone if you said, I think this is one of the most important songs of mm-hmm. the 90s yeah. or whatever, which yeah. one of the most important songs of the 90s is Everlong by uh, the Foo Fighters. You're, I mean, you're not wrong. So I, I, I generally say that it is like the 90s alternative song, at least for me. Yeah. Um, um, so, yeah. So with mine, I like, like I said, they're not really like, these are the five books, you know, like, I mean, I'm like, I also have seven instead of five, but, um, but they are like, they were just impactful. And I kind of have like the title and the author, of course, and then kind of like what about them impacted me or like, you know, like why I chose to include them on this list. So we do we both have the Bible on our list. I don't have the Bible on my list. Oh, wow. (laughs) Wow. Wow. So I guess that's just you. Just me. I'm holding it down for JC. Oh I'm going to be a hip youth pastor. I've got my mustache. I've got my cutoff uh, jean shorts on. You got you got the jorts on. I've got my uh, crossbody bag. Perfect. Love I'm going to make a reference to Squid Game. It's going to be great. Hate it. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, my, my first one is actually the Bible. Um, okay. Which, you know, honestly, I don't go to church anymore. Um I haven't been in a while whenever there is a natural disaster in South Louisiana, which is constantly. Yeah. I work with the church that I went to, to do recovery stuff along with some other groups. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't read the Bible in a really long time. Um, although when I was younger, it was just a huge part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was a real uh, holy roller. I was a foot washer, um, fire and brimstone Baptist growing mm-hmm. up. And, um, but I still think that the Bible probably is one of the most influential books in making me who I am. And in, mm-hmm. to give a little bit away, um, another one of my books is the communist manifesto. And I know a lot of people probably really not it. like typically not to that you hear right. on the same list, but, 
I mean, I don't see how, based on actually reading the Bible, which that's a whole nother conversation about evangelical Christianity and how it's more of a church culture than it is a, a, a religion of faith. Um, mm-hmm. But yep. I don't see how anyone could read, especially the New Testament, um, the books involving the red letters, the speakings mm-hmm. and teachings of Christ, and not see, if nothing else, not see the appeal of a communist system. Mm-hmm. Um, so ironically, I think the two books that most maybe who I am are yep. the Bible and the Communist Manifesto. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was raised in the church. Um, the reason I started playing music was the church, which is a, just a well-worn path in mm-hmm, the South. For sure. Yeah, um, for sure. And, and, you know, I think the Bible is really interesting because it's a book where if you're from a certain area, whether you do read it or you don't read it and whether you do like it or you don't like it, mm-hmm. you could never touch a Bible and grow up in South Louisiana and still have your life dramatically impacted by Absolutely. the Bible. Which is, I guess, just a larger conversation about how cultures shape who you are, even if Mm -hmm. you grow up in rebellion to that culture. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, that's probably, I mean, it's my first one Mm -hmm. and it's probably the longest lasting influence. Mm -hmm. So it might be my number one just because I got exposed to it early on. I mean, I was, you know, I was true love weights. I was. uh, Oh, yeah. uh, I, you know, I was on the youth worship team and then I was on the worship team of the church I went to and went to youth camp and I was a youth camp yeah. uh uh not counselor chaperone a few times and um I just think the Bible has played a huge impact in my life because mm-hmm. a it got me involved in the, the culture of Christianity but also um especially the teachings of Christ um mm-hmm. really impacted the person I am today this idea of like you know, you're, you're alive to help other people and to, you know, Mm -hmm. what's the great commission to go forth and spread the good news of great joy and all those Mm -hmm. things. Um, I mean, I don't see how growing up in South Louisiana, you couldn't be impacted by the Bible. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I'm sure even though you don't have the Bible on your list, which is (laughs) honestly kind of surprising, I feared you would have it on there. Um, you would probably, Like, I mean, I, like, I completely agree with you. It was very impactful, um, in my life. And honestly, I guess these books, like the books that I have on there, like there's a couple that have like been like long-term, like lifelong impact, you know, like mint, like thinking back many years, but I guess, um, since I've had just such like big life changes over the last like little while, I guess these, the books that are on my list have been like more recently impactful, I guess. Mm Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I grew up in Tennessee. My mom's from um, Alabama. My dad's from the Texas-Louisiana border. So, I mean, you know, like... You didn't stand a chance. I didn't stand a chance, no. Um, You know, and I I mean, grew up in church, um, you know, was in church until, uh, you know, really like the last several months. And Let me ask you this question. Yeah. Not to get too personal. Hey, is your dad from Lake Charles? Uh, He's from um, Orange. Was it Morton? Okay, somewhere north. Yeah. Um, how long did you stay in the church even though it wasn't doing anything for you? Or did you even have question. that? Because well, I, I mean, yeah. I was full on on the worship team. Like I went to do a church plant and like start a, another campus. Yeah. And I had 
already been like right so like because that's the thing is like and like obviously this is not the topic that we planned on but that's the thing i love about doing this podcast is like you know things just happen like genuine conversations just happen so like for me like i grew up in church um and then when i first moved to kentucky like moved away from home um like i i, I wasn't in church for a little while um actually even before that so like for like a year um and then i moved here um, i met like my like ex-sister-in-law and like that family and like because of like the way that I had grown up I believed that like that was the only like being in church and like being around like quote-unquote church people that was the only like route of acceptance and like route of like like anything positive in my life Mm -hmm. and so so like you know I started dating him and I like you know became friends with all these people and like I changed who I was and like shaped it to fit into this little like box of like what you know uh a good Southern Christian woman supposed to look like. And like that, you know, like is neither here nor there because, you know, like don't change who you are for anybody else. Um, but really like things kind of like hit me back in between like November, 2019 and January, 2020, I was just really like, I'm like things that are being taught and like actions of people were really like, this is not, Really yeah, I mean, one of the reasons I became increasingly disillusioned with the church was of the new membership of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, big time. I just, yeah. I remember it, it really hit me once I was, which is always a terrible idea. I was on Facebook, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> just a bad idea in general. In fact, I'm about to delete my Facebook. I just, yeah. I think Mark Zuckerberg's a bad person um <laughs> he's not great and I'm, I'm gonna really stick it to him by deleting my facebook um yep. <laughs> but uh i posted something about the immigrant crisis in syria like after mm-hmm. they had that horrible photograph of the children mm-hmm. that had drowned crossing and a church member started like arguing with me about it. i'm like what are we what are we even doing here? yeah like what's the point of this yeah yeah like in- you're supposed to give your, you know, your life for these people. And you yeah. want to argue that like one of them maybe might be a terrorist. It's like, that's not, that's like. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's not the, that's not the point. Right. Well, and like, and you know, when, when, when COVID hit and then everything happened, you know, with George Floyd and that like, it was just like slowly, but surely I was seeing this like really ugly side of people. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, then when, you know, I did get divorced and everything like that, everybody was just like, Oh, see ya bye like yeah yeah just, yeah like I, very, was just, I will say it's become very cultish but you said one of your yeah. books actually dealt with your recent life change yes so so several of them do um okay. so so one of them I get and we can kind of go back and forth a little bit I guess so one of them um is kind of like it was one that was really just like kind of like open my like my eyes and my mind to like a different way of thinking um, uh-huh. and that's stillness is the key by Ryan holiday. Um, he's a stoic, like I've gotten really like fascinated by stoicism and interested in stoicism. And so a quote from the book that really jumped out at me was confidence is the freedom to set your own standards and unshackle yourself from the need to prove yourself. Because I think you'll agree, you know, like the, the, you know, common denominator of church, church culture is like being good enough and doing this enough and going to Bible study and, you know, you know, checking all these boxes of like, in like filling this quota of the things that you need to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And, 
And it was everything, like nothing was good enough. And so, you know, reading that and like, you know, Ryan talks about in the book, like, you know, just this concept of like, when it's just you at home by yourself, everything's silent. Like, are you like, do you like who you are? Do you enjoy just being with yourself? And I was just like, oh no, I sure don't. And you know, then it was just like, okay, what am I going to do to like take hold of my own life and like fix that? You know what I mean? It's one of those lines where you're like, oh no. Yeah. I was like, oh "Oh, boy. Did you say the guy's name was Ryan Howard? Ryan Holiday. Holiday. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so he has stillness is the key obstacle is the way and ego is the enemy they're all incredible and then i think his new book i don't think it's come out yet um it's called courage is calling i think that's what it's called um Uh but uh but all of his books are amazing um i get his like daily emails like he has a thing called the daily stoic he's got a podcast and stuff too and um right Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and so, <laughs> um, but like, you know, a lot of his principles are very like, just be kind to each other. You can't control anyone else. All you can control is yourself and your reactions and your responses. And so, you know, just, just treat people well, you know, treat people like the golden rule, you know, treat people the way that you want to be treated, um, love others, like do good. And, you know, like, that's it. Like, don't, don't do good things because you want good things to come to you. Anything like that. Like just, just do good and be a good person, you know, like, um, and not trying to fill this quota, like, you know, and, you know, paying it forward at Starbucks and then posting about it on Facebook and stuff. Like yeah. That, you that, know what I mean? <laughs> the paying it forward stuff like that is just right. like, you're just, it's, I'm, I have a, a number of very, low stakes conspiracy theories. And I think that the paying it forward thing is like a marketing ploy by companies to make more money. I'm sure. Yeah. All right. So you said your next one on your list was the communist manifesto. That's actually not the next one on my list. That's actually, but I mean, we can talk about that. Okay. Let's talk about that one because I feel like when people hear that, it's very much like a, like a little gasp, you know, like, like, yeah, people are shocked when I just straight up tell people that I'm a communist and I'm just, I'm like, I, why would I not tell you the thing that I'm proud to be? Yeah. Like to me, because, uh, I mean, growing up at like, I mean, growing up in church and like living in South Louisiana, that's not what, what you expect to hear. Right. So no, so no, let's I unpack just, that. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, I grew up very conservative and, you know, very red state Republican. Mm-hmm. And then as I got to college and I just got edgier um (laughs) i started to see that like the two-party system just did not have a lot of answers for things Mm -hmm. i think hurricane katrina um really opened my eyes to the fact that just like the federal government does not care at all about south louisiana and neither does either political party because with our electoral Mm -hmm. system i mean you'll never get a republican candidate for the most part that'll come to south louisiana um, because the Republicans are going to win the state. And for the same reason, mm-hmm. for the most part, you'll never get a Democratic candidate that comes to yep. South Louisiana because Republicans are going to win the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only seven electoral votes anyways. Yeah. But um, And then as I started to look into libertarianism, I realized that they were spotting the correct problems, but their solutions were just, in my opinion, complete fantasy-like. Mm-hmm. This idea that, like, if we just do capitalism a little bit different this time, and I'm the rich guy, that like <laughs> we'll get it right. right. Um, 
which I'm sure if you have any libertarian listeners are like, Ooh, but communism hasn't worked and they can argue with me <laughs> um, at Jacob disagrees, no spaces on Twitter, you cowards. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, just reading the communist manifesto, which a, I think a lot of people are so afraid of communism because of the excellent job that the red scare did in the fifties and sixties, mm-hmm. right. As we we're mounting our public education system, um, which I don't think is a coincidence at all that it paints communism as like the, the worst possible thing in the world, which mm-hmm. if it was, then we would have fought against the USSR in World War II and not the Nazis. Um, right. But, uh, you know, I mean, a communist manifesto is 45 pages. It's not long at all. Right. It's, it's a pamphlet that's really made that like a trade unionist um, who just has a, just a, a working education that didn't go to college can read it and understand it. It's very mm-hmm. simple language. Um, it really lays out what the communists believe, um, or at least what Karl Marx and Frederick Engels believes. And then communism has evolved from that point. Um, yeah. Stalinism, Maoism, mm-hmm. all the isms that always argue with each <laughs> other all the time. Right. Um, awesome guy in a top hat just rubs his hands together because we won't organize. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you read the Communist Manifesto and you read how he talks about the working class and how they're downtrodden and how and there's a lot of parallels to the thinking in terms of wealth and wealth distribution that you get in the Bible. I mean, when you mm-hmm. look at what Christ has to say about wealthy people, it's mm-hmm. bad. Yeah. You know, he tells the the young rich man to sell all his belongings and follow him. And the young rich mm-hmm. man doesn't. And um, he says, it's easier for a rich man to, or excuse me, a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter to heaven. And the only time we see Christ angry is because of the exploitation for personal gain in the temple. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, as weird as it probably sounds to a lot of people, it's a really natural transition to go from Christianity into leftism. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least be sympathetic to it. Yeah. Um, it's a really slim volume. It's really easy to read. Mm-hmm. It really, when I read it, it just made sense in a way that so many other political texts that I swore were good just mm-hmm. didn't make sense. Like the Federalist Papers mm-hmm. or the Anti-Federalist Papers written by yeah. Brutus is just some rich farmer. Um, so, I mean... I would say that my journey in leftism and sometimes other communists look at me where I want to say my journey in leftism started with the fact that I grew up in a Baptist church. That's really interesting. Like, I mean, I feel like that's such a unique experience. You know what I mean? Like, and like hearing you talk about it and like hearing you explain like the path from like one to the other, it totally makes sense. Um, But it's just not, it's just not something that, you know, like you necessarily expect to hear, I guess, if that makes sense. Well, I mean, it, it takes, and I don't want to sound pretentious, which I'm about to sound pretentious, but it <laughs> takes your own exploration into the subject because mm-hmm. the you have to realize that any national education system is built around informing students and then also uh, indoctrinating students, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which is something as a communist I wrestle with because I try to present the clearest picture of both sides. I don't sit here and act like when we do Soviet Union that the Soviet Union is flawless because, of course, it's not. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I mean, a lot of people, when I ask them, they're like, you're a communist. I go, yeah, they go, oh, and they act like it's bad. I say, well, what's bad about it? And, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have an answer. And I'm, right. they get mad sometimes. Like, I've got a friend that I haven't talked, talking, spoken, talking is not a word, <laughs> spoken with in a while. 
Um, and I think specifically because the last time he tried to talk to me about it, because I'm in a rifle association, um, Socialist Rifle Association. And he's like, I thought communists didn't like guns. I'm like, who told you that? You know, right. and I think and that's another thing about reading to bring this meandering point back to <laughs> what we're talking about is people just they don't read for themselves anymore. I, I would not be a communist if I didn't read the manifesto for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. Reading for yourself. And that's important. So the next one on my list is just mercy by Brian Stevenson. Um, when everything happened with the George Floyd, um, staff last year, um, I reached out to a friend of mine, um, named Tyrone Graham, who has been on the podcast before. And I asked him, I said, Hey, like, I want to educate myself on what's going on, on my privilege, on, you know, like the history. I just, I want to understand more. I want to, you know, I just want to learn. I want to take in beneficial information. So he recommended a whole slew of books to me and just mercy really just stuck with me. Um, it's, I mean, several of them did, but I was trying to pick like one with a specific quote, um, that like just jumped out at me. Um, I, you know, I read how to be anti-racist, why are all the black kids sitting together at the cafeteria, like all these different books. Um, and if, you know, anybody's listening to this and wants, um, that list, um, or part of that list or, recommendations, whatever, like shoot me a message. I'm happy to do that. Shoot Tyrone a message. I'm sure he's happy to do that as well. Um, but so just mercy, um, the quote that jumped out to me, um, that stuck with me was the true measure of our character is how we treat the poor, the disfavored, the accused, the incarcerated and the condemned. So, you know, like it's easy to like treat people that are just like us, who look like us, who talk like us, who sound like us, who socioeconomically are like us, it's easy to treat them well, right? But like, like the quote says, the measure of our character is how we treat people that are different, you know, like people that have been considered condemned, people that, you know, society would say are lower than us. Like that's a really a true measure of I swear I've heard a quote or a quote like that one before. Mm-hmm. Like the yeah. true measure of your character is what you do for someone that can do nothing for you or mm-hmm. something. Yeah, absolutely. Along those lines. But yeah, you know, I just think that we as human beings um, need to continue to be a lot better about um, loving each other and like being more accepting and not just like giving someone a seat at the table, but like listening to them when they're at the table. You know what I mean? Like, don't just yeah, invite them. Yeah. Don't just give them a seat. Like, give them a voice too, um, give them a platform, um, because, yeah. you know, just being like, oh, well, look, you know, I'm nice to this person. Well, no, but like, yeah. Uh, tokenism is not the same as like, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I, um, I'm actually teaching African-American studies for the first time this, mm-hmm. um, this spring, which is incredibly close. Um, and, uh, on my reading list is why are all the black kids sitting together at the table? Or uh, sitting, what is the exact title? Sitting together in the cafeteria. Right. That is yep. it. Um, that was a big eye opener for me. Yeah. Um, I, I, I have a really unique situation in that, in that I'm obviously, well, I guess it's not obvious to anyone listening except for my dumb accent. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm white and I, te- I'm the black history club sponsor at a predominantly, um, 
white school mm-hmm. in a, a very conservative area. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I already see a lot of those issues. And then as also the Black History Club sponsor, um, I hear a lot of those issues, but I have not read nearly, well, I haven't read nearly enough this year as it is, um, mm-hmm. but I have not read nearly enough literature um, from that perspective, which I think is probably really important. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that's a really good book. Um, like I said earlier, the, um, um, how to be anti-racist was, was a great read. Um, and then also, um, what was the other one? We were eight years in power and the color of law, um, were also very informational as well. Um, do you have any fiction on your list? I do. Ooh, I have one fiction on my list. Okay. Do you want to go over, do you want to mention that one next or whichever one you would like to mention next? Let's hear what your fiction selection is first. All right. So mine and anyone who is like a close friend, well, one of my two, um, anyone Harry Potter? A, no, it's not Harry Potter. Good. Um, I love Harry Potter, but that's not like, that just didn't make the list. Right. I know um, three year olds that are like, I'm a Slytherin. No. You're 33 years old. Listen, I'm not here to talk shit about Harry Potter because I love it. I really respect anyone that is my age and still clings to Harry Potter like a life raft because the world is terrifying. And they (laughs) you're gonna make some enemies. It's what I do. Get in line. Um and but they acknowledge that they are a Hufflepuff. I, I really respect the self-awareness that like in your dream reality where you shoot fireballs out of your fucking fingertips, you acknowledge that you're still kind of okay. Oh my God. Listen, I respect it. I respect it. Okay. All right. Hey, as long as the respect is there, I guess that's all. If in your dream world, it's kind of like in the office where Dwight's dream is to be the co-manager of a hotel with the devil, Mm -hmm. not even the full manager. It's like you, (laughs) you have some self-awareness there that I have to respect. Okay. All right. Fair. Um, so one of my two fiction books on this list, uh, is the great Gatsby. Um, I was gonna, I was gonna put three on this list. Um, the one that did not make the list because it would have been on the list for very similar reasons as Gatsby was Fahrenheit 451. Um, another Uh, one of my Ray Bradbury is on my list. So we'll, okay, good, good, good. Um, yeah, I had to, uh, not too long ago, I had to get a new copy of Fahrenheit 451 because mine was so worn out from just like, like the spine of it was just like disintegrating. So, um, but so the great Gatsby, um, it really like, I mean, I've read it God knows how many times now, but, um, as an adult reading it, um, it kind of changed the way that I like thought about the world and like how powerful literature can really be. Um, and you know, like the, the concept of blind ambition and living in the past and like, what are you really living for? Um, how do you feel about the movie Ray Gatsby? So here's the thing. So I think the original movie is the better. I mean, the Baz Luhrmann uh, edition. Listen, I, I love Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh So I wasn't upset about the fact that he was Jay Gatsby. (laughs) I I love the spectacle of that movie. Yes. Like the cinematic aspect of it, but like you can't, yeah, you can't connect. Like, it's like 
you almost have to look at them as two separate things. Like yeah. I mean, Great that Gatsby, soundtrack. the novel, that Slush soundtrack it. is like banger after banger. Like it is. It might so be good. my favorite Florence and the Machine song, which is really sad. Wow. wow. So, um, so you have to almost look at them as two separate and like complementary things, but not like the same thing. You know what I mean? Um, but like with, so with Gatsby, you know, like a big thing for me was, you know, Gatsby coming to terms with like the past and the present. And like, you know, he had this idea of who Daisy was and like who he, you know, their life together. And like, you know, he had idolized like what his future could be. Right. Yeah. But he, so like when he finally met Daisy, you know, like, and he was like, let's like, let's just do this. Like, let's be together. He was still believing in the like past version of Daisy, (laughs) a totally different season of her life. And, um, you know, like, but the, the huge concept, you know, like I just said, is that you can't repeat the past. And then also, you know, there's the concept of, um, you know, social classes and everything like that, which that's a whole different, that's a whole different. That would be game. what I attach to, um, of course, with my communist manifesto yeah. at all. And you know, that's because- a book that I read as a kid and uh, not as a kid, um, but you know, in high school Yeah. and I, I respected it as a book and mm-hmm. I liked the story, but it's not a book that's interesting that like it's a person, the tornado is my son just got home. So if you hear a very loud sound, it is my son. <laughs> um, but it's not a book that I personally like got a greater message from other than this is a one of the great American novels. And yeah. um, you know, like I got why even why it was relevant at the time, but yeah, I never quite understood um how people could attach to it like that, but it's interesting, I guess, especially with um I don't know if you're going through a big life change how you could really mm-hmm. attach to yeah for sure that book well and you know like the whole the whole concept of the green light at the end of the dock you know like right it's this whole like this hope he had you know the the green he sees the green light at the end of the dock of this like giant mansion of these like super rich people and whatever and like mm-hmm. it's like the the american dream is you know at the beginning of the book that's what it represents and then at the end you know it's representing like the receding of like his hope you know what i mean and like the you know him him stuck in the past and like not being able to fully live and be who he is because he's stuck in this like ideal of like, this is what things are supposed to be. And I mean, I guess that's kind of, it's funny. Like, you know, I'm seeing that this is kind of like a overarching theme of so many of the books on my list is like, there's no, like you're supposed to be X, Y, Z. Like you decide, you know, I'm sure if I read it as an adult, I would probably get some of that out of it. Um, yeah. To make a, a, a musical connection, like I remember being a teenager and loving the album, the Thursday album, Full Collapse. Oh, yeah. And now as an adult, I listen to it. I'm just like, these lyrics were written for the age that I am. Yeah. Now. Mm-hmm. They weren't written for 16 year old me. Right. Um, so, it's yeah, like I'm totally sure. Totally different appreciation. The great yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, 
I almost put another fiction book on my list and mentioned that you almost put one on there. I almost put Jurassic Park and I didn't. Oh. Um, that might be the book I've read the most. I fell in love with it after seeing the movie mm-hmm. when I was in, oh, I was in sixth and seventh grade. I probably read it 20 times between mm-hmm. sixth and seventh grade. Yeah. Um, and that's a book that I just d- didn't quite make the cut, but um it's just interesting that we both have fiction books that we were going to put and we didn't put. Yeah. Um, and they're both science fiction books as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. And both of them, which I'll talk about when we talk about Ray Bradbury really deal with uh, the dangers of technology, kind of like that romanticism of the early yeah. to mid 1800s with Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, this idea mm-hmm. of like, what could science do? And uh, more importantly, what should science do? Which yeah, I guess is sure. a line that is literally echoed in, uh, Jurassic Park. Yeah. With Malcolm. Uh, right. What's his name? Malcolm. Ian, Ian Malcolm. Malcolm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But the fiction book I did choose was a Ray Bradbury. It was the Martian okay. Chronicles, one of his short stories. Oh, yeah. That's a good choice. I love the Martian. It's so good. Like every yeah. short story in there is so good. Yeah. Um, I love that book so much that one year for Christmas, I think I had uh, my wife she was asking what she could get me for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And uh, I told her she just sat down like with calligraphy, like really wrote out uh, oh, cool. the rockets. Yeah. The first story of the Martian Chronicles. Yeah. Um, I would really like that a lot. And it sits on my desk at work. Um, That's awesome. Just a, a great book. Uh, it's the first time, and maybe because I read it when I was a little bit older. I wasn't a teenager when I read it. I was in my 20s. Um, it was the first time I read a science fiction book that really stuck with me that it's not about the cool setting and it's not about we're in space and all these other mm-hmm. things. Uh, Ray Bradbury really has this theme of, uh, you know, what does it mean to be alive in an age where human connection is increasingly less and less and less, mm-hmm. which I mean, Fahrenheit. We're kind of living in that now. <laughs> yeah. Well, Fahrenheit 451, like really predicted mm-hmm. that too. Right. Um, which no one understands about Fahrenheit 451. They think it's about right. censorship or something, but Ray Bradbury it's himself definitely is like, not, yeah. he's like, it's about how people don't go to the library. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But um, I mean, all Ray Bradbury books, I could have put the illustrated man on there, um, which has so basically favorite. Ray Bradbury period for either of us. Yeah. I mean, yes. Ray Bradbury's the illustrated man has my favorite Ray yeah. Bradbury story, which is the rocket man, um, which of course, Elton John based the song The Rocket mm-hmm. Man off of. Um, I just read Red, Bar- Red Bradbury's Dandelion Wine, which is not a science mm-hmm. fiction book, but he still carries through that theme of like, I'm alive and it's amazing and it's it's rapidly mm-hmm. ending. And oh my God, what have I missed? And it's like, it just mm-hmm. really captures the existential dread of being in a moment that's great and realizing that it's mm-hmm. going to stop being great because yeah. that's what happens. Right, yeah. What was your other fiction book? I'm really interested. My other fiction book is totally different. (laughs) So I discovered this author um, Uh and I might butcher how you pronounce her last name, but um, it's Jill Santipolo, Santipolo, whatever. Um, And she is one of these authors. So she writes like romance fiction, like I, or like contemporary, contemporary fiction, I guess is more a real, a real, dollar uh, store paperback huh no not one of those it's more <laughs> of like a uh, like contemporary literature i guess um but uh the one that i chose from her is called the light we lost um uh-huh. and 
I don't know what it is with her, but she has the, the ability to write about love and heartbreak and all of that in like a way that like you didn't know it needed to be described, but then you read it and you're like, holy shit, I know exactly what you're talking about. And you like feel these emotions, like talk about reading books and like gaining empathy. Oh my God. Like if you've never had your heart broken, read this book. Like I, I mean, everybody that knows me knows I'm a crier, but like I have never cried so hard reading a book as I did like off and on through this entire book. It was absolutely beautiful. Absolutely incredible. I've read all of her books now and they're all equally for different reasons, like heavy, but beautiful. And like, just really understanding like the whole like spectrum of human emotion, like, and it's, and like with grief and like the different types of grief, whether it's, you know, like loss of a relationship, loss of a loved one, like whatever. Um, and then there was one more author, fiction author that I was going to put on my list. And, um, I have just drawn a blank. Hold on. My bookshelf's right next to me. I'm sure I have something by her on it. Oh, I believe no. in you. Oh, no. This is oh, no. Okay. I'm also on my computer, so I guess I could I could just Google it. Um, Jasmine Guillory, I remembered. Guillory, Guillory, however you say it. So she is um, a Black author, and that's one thing that, like, I... Um, I really wanted to do is I wanted to start reading books um, by like not just by marginalized authors, but like just by like just a wider spectrum. Of- yeah, exactly. And so um, there's a couple of different authors that like I um, I discovered through this because a lot of like websites and like book lists and stuff started like on like purposely like introducing people to to various different um, authors and. So I started reading her books and like what something that I think is really cool that she does is like her books are all like within the same universe. So like her first book, the second book takes like a seemingly minor character from the first book and Uh they're the main character in the second book and like so on and so forth. So they're all kind of tied together. And then like you get little like hints of like previous characters and like other books of just like, oh, it's like a casual mention of like what these two people are doing or whatever. Um, yeah you know some authors do that really well and some authors yeah. don't. it's always nice she does it so well because she just like sprinkles it in it's like it's like you wouldn't know if you hadn't just like if you don't read her books in succession you almost like forget about it so it's kind of neat um yeah. and like then, some some authors do that really well i know um stephen king does that to varying degrees yeah, mm-hmm. of success um but sometimes so i mean i guess these aren't movies but like with the mcu like mm-hmm. how they just right. like we've literally made this movie just to mention this character because they're going right, to be in the yeah. next one. So it's always <laughs> right. nice when you run into an author. I mean, Ray Bradbury does that as well. Yeah, he does. Even with how disjointed um, his writings are. Right. And you're mm-hmm. talking about uh, an author that really made you feel emotional. Um, mm-hmm. And I was thinking of Ray Bradbury's story. Um, I believe it's called the, I actually made sure that I had the correct name. It's a short story. It's called The Fire Balloons. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever read the fire balloons. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's in one of the, the versions of uh, the Martian Chronicles. Mm-hmm. And it was a real awakening for me towards the end of my church going experience about mm-hmm. like the nature of faith and the nature of um, belief and also the nature of sin. And like, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. And it's so amazing that he's able to do that. I mean, cause you know, right. Brother short story, if it's long is, 
you know, seven pages. And right. And that's yeah. long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I remember reading that and just being like, oh, I've never thought for all my religious teaching, I have never thought of this idea of like how being in a body mm-hmm. creates the opportunity for sin and how much of our ideas are sin are wrapped up in like mm-hmm. our our physical forms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've ever um, listened to, there's something, it's called An Evening with Ray Bradbury. It is a 45-minute yes. interview yes. with Ray Bradbury. It's so, it's so it's good. It's so good. It and is he talks so about good. being on the steps of the Chicago Institute of Art. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm getting a little, little reclumped <laughs> thinking about it and the people <laughs> rush down and he talks about how like the point of literature is people to say, hey, you're a little messed up and I'm a little messed up too. And it's all right. Mm-hmm. And that's just like, yep. he really got it. Yeah. I remember R.L. Stein. I heard R.L. Stein talking once <laughs> about Ray Bradbury and he was at a science fiction slash horror writers convention. And he saw Ray mm-hmm. Bradbury eating a hot dog <laughs> and his wife encouraged him to just talk to Ray Bradbury. He, I mean, he's R.L. Stein. Ray Bradbury is like one of his big influences. Right. Yeah. Um, and he goes up to Ray Bradbury and he didn't know what to say. And he just goes, Mr. Bradbury, you're my hero. Um, and Ray Bradbury turned to him with, you know, swallowed his bite of hot dog or whatever and said, you know, you're someone else's hero. And it's just like, Oh like my he, God. Oh like, my heart. He got what it meant to be a person and yeah. to have these feelings. I mean, I thought dandelion wine was going to be a nice, easy, breezy read. Oh, and it really, no. <laughs> Oh my God. Like he, this 12 year old is like thinking about how like his friends are happier than he is. And, mm-hmm. You know, there's this line where he says, I forget what the, the boy's name is that leaves the town. He says, and there he runs his feet, not touching the ground at all. And here comes Tom, his feet touching the ground all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, yep. oh, I don't even quite know what that means, but God. Is it- <laughs> so Pastor Ray Bradbury, what is next on your list? I've got two works of existential philosophy. All right. Um, we can go with the atheist one or we can go with the Christian one. It's, it's dealer's choice. Uh, let's go with the atheist one. I'm intrigued. So the most recent book I read that had a big impact on my life, even though I, you know how it is with YouTube, you can know everything mm-hmm. about something and not know anything. <laughs> right. Um, even though I knew Albert Camus' philosophy, um, mm-hmm. I read The Myth of Sisyphus. Mm -hmm. Uh, his essay and it had a huge impact on me especially with my previous background in uh christian existentialism and then nihilism and then christian existentialism again Mm -hmm. um which don't worry i didn't put that loser nietzsche on my list what a little weirdo (laughs) that's why i always tell people i'm like if you read nietzsche like he's got something to say but you also have to remember frederick nietzsche was a loser like a huge loser weirdo um that's so not nice. Me- huh? That is not nice. You know what? <laughs> Life's tough. Get a helmet. He's dead oh anyway. Um, oh my God. Like he definitely has something to say to Frederick Nietzsche, but also like tamper it with the fact of like the person that he was. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, so I have the myth of Sisyphus, which is, I don't know if you know the myth of Sisyphus at all. Mm-mm. I don't want to explain something to you that you already know in this weird, like, I know more than you way. Do you know the original myth? 
Like the actual wolf? Mm -mm. Okay, so there's this guy. I'm going to really gloss over it. Okay, high level. Um, There's this guy, Sisyphus. S-I-S-Y-P-H-U-S. Sisyphus. Spelling bee. Um, (laughs) And he, uh, he tricks Zeus and then he tricks Hades Mm-hmm. into various things and he mm-hmm. angers the gods which you know is a constant theme of greek mythology people mm-hmm. right vacation, this kind of you can't escape your fate morality tale that we see over and over again mm-hmm. um and he is sentenced to tartarus which is like if greek mythology has a hell i guess tartarus is that hell mm-hmm. it's a place where you are ironically punished um almost like the seven levels of hell where like mm-hmm. each ring of hell you if you were a blasphemer, you're stuck in a place where the wind blows constantly, like so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is sentenced because he is so clever to do a pointless task, which is to push a boulder up a hill that he is chained to. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually don't know if in the original myth he's actually chained to it, if that's just the way the interpretation goes. But anyways, doesn't matter. Yeah. Push the boulder up the hill. When you get to the top, the boulder rolls down. Mm-hmm. And you go back to the bottom and you push it up again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's seen as like this God, that's a bummer thing. And then Albert Camus with uh, expanding existentialism into absurdism, um, and just breezing right past nihilism, yeah. um, makes this great point. At least I think it's a great point, um, mm-hmm. that, Hey, you know, what Frederick Nietzsche and those earlier thinkers are right. That life is inherently without a meaning and nothing you can do will give it any meaning. And life is kind of insignificant. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, to be incredibly depressing, which is right <laughs> on day. You know, one day, no matter how famous you are, the sun's going to explode and the earth's going to cease to exist and it won't matter. Um, like the search for immortality is, is pointless. You're chasing after something, you know, you're building a house, uh, you're uh, building a house built upon sand to make a biblical reference. Um, but Albert Camus says, yeah, you know what? Life is pointless. And in seeking to find meaning in life, you're actually just avoiding the fact that life is pointless. Because even if you create meaning for yourself, like life still inherently doesn't have meaning. But if you recognize that life doesn't have meaning and you continue to do something anyways with the acknowledgement mm-hmm. that it doesn't matter, you have become this absurd hero, this idea of this person that looks into the absurd and looks at the quest for meaning, knowing that it's meaningless and pursues it anyways, purely because they want to. Um, And I guess out of context, that doesn't mean much, but uh, for someone like me, who's, I mean, I grew up with purpose imbued in my life because I was Mm -hmm. bad. And then in losing the church, I I lost my purpose. And then I I delved into nihilism and I tried to find purpose through Mm -hmm. existence. And then to come to Camus' absurdism and go, yeah, you know, maybe he's got a point here. Um, mm-hmm. It really makes you realize that, like, you know, life doesn't have a purpose. That doesn't mean it has to be dour. You can just go for it. You can imagine that to end, mm-hmm. he says, one must imagine Sisyphus happy. This idea that pushing the boulder up the hill, knowing that it's pointless, but he finds pleasure in the task itself mm-hmm. it gets to yeah. the top and he can go ah, i did it and the boulder rolls back down he just goes back down he pushes it back up mm-hmm. um, and i think it's important for people to to recognize that 
Yeah. That, you know, just because you feel like what you're doing doesn't have purpose doesn't mean that you cannot find joy in what you're doing. In fact, you probably should. Like, if I was an absurdist, I couldn't be in public education because I, I push that boulder yeah. up the hill for 18 weeks and then it rolls back down and I get a fresh mm-hmm. crop of students and I <laughs> really start, you know, I start with the Middle Ages and what's feudalism again, you know? Yeah, right. But you have um, to find the joy in what you're doing um, because, you know, whether you believe things have purpose or you don't, um, you know, I think it's very important that in what, whatever you're doing and whatever you believe to find joy in even the most mundane seeming tasks, right? You know, even something like pushing a boulder up to the top of a hill, um, you know, finding the joy in those things, um, you know, I mean, it's key. It's important. Um, and so that like kind of goes along with the theme of, um, another book on my list. So, Mm -hmm. um, this is, uh, it is untamed by Glennon Doyle and I couldn't just choose one quote. So I picked a few. So here we go. Uh Um, one is hard work is important. So are play and non-productivity. My worth is tied not to my productivity, but to my existence. I am worthy of rest. Um, so, you know, that's a big thing. It's like, that's, that's a real communist thought you've got there. Coming. Hey, there we go. Look at me. <laughs> Look at you go talking about Look the alienation. <laughs> um, so the next one is this life is mine alone. So I have stopped asking people for directions to places that they have never been. Ooh, that's a good um, one. That is a good one. And then the last one is the only thing that was ever wrong with me was my belief that there was something wrong with me. Um, so, you know, like the common theme of like so many of mine have been like just this mindfulness aspect, right. Of just like, it's like reframing the way that you think about things. So so instead of being like, oh, like this is damaged about me, this is broken about me, this is wrong with me. No, like you don't have to believe there's something wrong with you. Like, I, and I've told people this, so like, this is kind of how I discovered the Enneagram is like when I first came across it through, um, the, um, the artist sleeping at last, like through his music. Um, and I first took the Enneagram test and I like found out like what my type was and that I was a type two. There were so many characteristics of a type two that I was like, hold the phone. Like these aren't things that are wrong with me or that like make me weird or whatever. Like this is just who, what makes me who I am. And so like reframing that in my mind of like, okay, just because, you know, like not to look at myself as like over emotional, but maybe look at myself instead as like empathetic and like able to understand other people's emotions because I, I feel things so big, you know, um, yeah. and like just learning to reframe my mind um, was a was a has, was and has been and continues to be um, a big thing for me because I'm I'm a um, very much an overthinker. So like, you know, constantly you know trying to reframe my thoughts is a big thing for me. Yeah, I know. I, I, I agree with that. I actually just had to be talked into taking a free trip to Rome. So, cause I was right. thinking about all the negative sides of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My mom was like, what are you insane? <laughs> you're like, you're right, Rome. mom. You're right. Like, um, yeah. Do you have any other ones on your list before I get uh, to my I list? Have, I was going to say, I know you have more than me. I also have fear and trembling, Soren Kierkegaard's fear and trembling, okay. which is probably like if I had to pick one writer that most impacted who I am now, mm-hmm. it would be Soren Kierkegaard. Soren Kierkegaard, um, do I need to give you prior knowledge on this one? 
Um, you don't have to give me, but like people oh, listening might not have a, audience. I know oh, it feels oh, like it's just a conversation between yeah. the two uh, of us, but yeah. people will Thorn, listen. Thorn Kierkegaard is a Danish existential philosopher that is a Christian theologist. Um, he's kind of considered the father of existentialism, even though existentialism at this point is much more an atheist. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Thing. That's not good. Um, it's more of an atheist uh, driven field there. That sounds better. Um, yeah. than a <laughs> but existentialism starts as a very Christian thing with Soren Kierkegaard, who kind of says life has no purpose and we are all in sin. And which it, I mean, that's we're all in sin. That's pretty boilerplate Christianity, yeah. Adam and Eve and all that. Um, but <laughs> excuse me, he goes on to say that like what, gives us purpose it's a leap of faith this idea that like like literally the term leap of faith comes from Soren Kierkegaard this idea that like you yeah, have to uh-huh. into faith and uh these new scientific revelations of the 17 and 1800s will never give your life meaning uh in order to find meaning you must dedicate yourself to something longer lasting than yourself yeah. um and specifically in fear and trembling it's all about faith it's all centered around um the story of Abraham and Isaac in which mm-hmm. they go up the mountain mm-hmm. and um, Abraham both has the faith that he is going to sacrifice his son mm-hmm. in accord with God's will, but also he has the faith that he will return from the mountaintop with mm-hmm. his son, mm-hmm. even though he knows that there's no way those two things could go together. Mm-hmm. Um, and Soren Kierkegaard talks about how, you know, you can be an aesthetic, someone that, pursues a life of pleasure and finds purpose through pleasure, even though when you die, that's over. Yeah. Or you can become a knight of either infinite resignation or a knight of faith in which you recognize what can and cannot be, or being a knight of faith, you recognize what cannot be and you push for it anyways. And um, definitely one of the hardest books I've ever had to read. It's very, he's, he, he writes very densely. It wasn't like an emotional read or anything like that. It's just, he writes very densely. It's definitely one mm-hmm. of the books to like have spark notes up as well while I was reading it to yeah. make sure I was the interpretations right. Yeah. But this idea, like it really kicked off kind of my, my more mature view on Christianity, this idea of like, what is faith and does life mm-hmm. have a purpose or are we creating our own purpose and what role does your religion play in your purpose or yeah. Um, what is the nature of faith? And it's this, you know, this, this illogical thing. And do we really have faith? It's kind of the same reason I love the music of me without you so much is mm-hmm. it's very much the same conversation. Like I'm a Christian and I think about killing myself a lot. Like, why would I want other people to be Christian? Like, what is my faith? Do I have true faith mm-hmm. or something I grew up with? Um, but yeah, Soren Kierkegaard, um, even though I don't attend church anymore, um, me reading that book when I read it mm-hmm. kicked off this idea of like, what is my life's purpose? Um, because even once you figure out that your life's purpose is to have faith, you still have to figure out like what you're going to do. And then you're uniquely right, yeah. responsible for what you do because you chose to do it. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. And that pushed me towards nihilism, which is for losers. Um, and then towards absurdism, which is for cool guys uh, like me. Not that you're biased or anything. No, not at all. Um, yeah. I definitely think you don't get absurdism without nihilism. Um, yeah. But I think just to go, well, nothing matters, and then be 
uh, swoop your hair down over your eye is like you've recognized a problem, but you haven't done anything to solve it. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. All right, so I've got two more on my list. Um, the next one is by the great Brene Brown. If you have not read anything, if you're if you are either Jacob or you are listening to this and you have not read anything by Brene Brown, I highly recommend it. Um, she's just like, I mean, even if you're not a reader, go watch one of her talks, go listen to her podcast. Like she's so just like inspirational, encouraging, but like, she's not one of these like BS kind of people. That's like everything sparkles and sunshine all the time. Cause I hate that. Like toxic positivity, like makes me so angry because life isn't great all the time. Um, but yeah. it's like, here's, here's some tools and here's some thought processes and here's somebody else who's been through something, you know, to like, to get you, to get you through stuff. So, um, this is from her book, Daring Greatly. Um, and I think it's just one quote. Yes. I just have one quote. Um, I actually narrowed it down on this one. So, um, it says, because true belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world, our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. So again, this concept of like, if you don't love yourself, you're like, you're not going to ever feel like you belong anywhere because you don't feel like you belong in yourself. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, you just be who you are because that's a beautiful thing. And that's so much of her, um, concepts that she, you know, talks about. It's just like who you are. There's nobody else like you. So, you know, whether you see that as a good thing or a bad thing, you know, whatever, you know, depends on the day, you know, for, for a lot of us, but, um, you know, you're the only person who can make the impact that you make on the earth right. while you're here. Yeah. You know? I think so, that's a really good message, especially with the pressure to be something and the mm-hmm. distorted reality that like, especially Instagram can give, I, I follow right, people on Instagram sure. and I'm just like, how do they, I know these people, yeah. this is not their life. Um, you know, um, so this idea of like, I can see why that would be so effective. This idea of like, hey, you are yourself and whether it's good or bad, it, it's you and there's no one else like you. And that inherently right. has to count for something. Right. Exactly. Um, and then the last one um, is called How to Sleep Alone in a King Size Bed. And it is by Theo Polly Nestor. Um, and this was recommended to me um, after my divorce. It was recommended by um, a, a distant friend. And, um, and our, it, it wasn't a very long book. Um, I read that and I read um, Falling Apart in One Piece. Both of those were like really transformative to me, but I chose this one because of this quote. Um, and so because of this quote, I will be getting a Phoenix tattoo in the future. Um, and you will, you will see why. So it says, um, I will never again be a woman married to the only man to whom she said, I do. I might recover a great deal of the brightness of my life, but I'm not going to come out of this, the same person who went into marriage and then divorce. I'm not sure who she's going to be, this person who's going to rise like a phoenix above all the smoldering embers of her old life, but I just want to make sure that I'm going to like her. So that was a huge, like I read that and I was like, holy shit, because it was like this concept of just like, okay, I am a different person now and I've got to figure out who she is, what she likes, what she wants, like whatever. And then just like go and be her. And, you know, it goes along with what, you know, Glennon Doyle says, what Brene Brown says, what Ryan Holland, like these all feed into each other of just like, 
be who you are and like go forth and like, you know, be kind to people and live your life and like be truly authentically you. Um, but this was like really like the switch that flipped for me, you know, like Ryan holiday, like started it. And then like this book really just like launched it of just like, okay. Like, cause I was so much trying to like go back to who I was before yeah. and yeah. I could not be the person that I was in like 2012, you know, like, or 2011, whenever, that like was so long ago, exactly. Right. First of all, so long ago. But like, I could not go back and I truly don't want to, because that would erase any lessons learned, any growth that happened. And so I had to refocus and be like, okay, no, you can't go backwards. It's like this Gatsby concept, right? Like, you know, you can't change the past. You've got to move forward and move on and use the past as lessons and grow and learn from them. Um, And so that was a big, you know, a big thing. And I love, I love imagery and just the imagery of a Phoenix, just like rising above the ashes. And it was just like, okay, this is super cool. Um, But yeah, you know, like I, um, you know, some of these were nonfiction, some of them were fiction. um, But one thing I do want to say, I love a good fiction read. um, And I think there's something like, you know, I mean, like you turn on Netflix, you don't have to watch a documentary every time, you know, you can sit there and like binge watch some like really crappy TV show or a great TV show, whatever, like it can be fiction or nonfiction. Um, because with, for me with fiction books, it's like that. I mean, that's honestly the books that I've learned the most from, you know, it's like, like I read when I was doing my research for research for this is that like fiction books have given so many people a place to belong when they don't always feel like they have one. And like, I remember, you know, to bring up Harry Potter again, that was something that I always loved about Hermione Granger. Uh, when I was like reading Harry Potter, when I was younger is like, she was so unapologetically herself. She like loved to read and loved like, you know, like just who she was and like, didn't let anybody like speak you know, like less of her. And I was just like, man, I want to be like her. Like, she's awesome, you know? And, um, she was probably the first like inspirational, like fictional character that like I, you know, related to. And I rip on the Harry Potter books a lot, but I did read all them as I'm sure you did (laughs) as a child is, uh, is the thing that I'm going to say with, with a little venom. Yeah, of course. Um, But, you know, but I think the theme in your books, your book list of like this, I am, I am in a season of change, mm-hmm. even in a book that you haven't read, you didn't read for the first time recently, which is the great Gatsby. This like, right. And I, 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 I do wonder if we did this podcast three years ago, if you would have a different book. Oh, list. I would absolutely have a different book list. Absolutely. I don't know if I made a book list for the person I am right at this moment, if it would be these, I chose five from over like the course of my life. Well, and that's and I, interesting I too, to you. like how we, how we like both took that of like five books that were inspirational to our life. Like I took it as like right now and you took it as like the course of your life. So well, I think, I, that's, I think fair, that's interesting. I'm, I'm more concrete in my life right now than you are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm in a season of change. I'm like in a season and of just self-development and boring me. <laughs> um, oh, but i have a mustache now so i'm different. you have a mustache now so i don't so <laughs> not <married>. yet <laughs> you'll get there you can do you'll it. get there well um is there anything else before i close this out um that you would like to to add for the folks at home uh everyone should read ray bradbury 
Yeah, um, I mean, if you've I learned anything, you've learned that we all love Ray Bradbury. So, I mean, I could have made this list out of just Ray Bradbury short stories, not even a yeah. book. Um, yeah, I, you know, just, I think people should read more, and I don't mean that like I'm a teacher way. I think you know, it, yeah. it it's time that you can set aside for yourself to do something mm-hmm. you want to do. Um, I'm trying to make myself take time to read more rather than yeah, sit and stare at my phone. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because, and I'm trying to make myself read more fiction. Yeah. I don't read a lot of fiction. I read a lot of nonfiction. I feel like I have this obligation mm-hmm. um, to be constantly learning information. But um, but you'd be surprised the information you can learn from a fiction book. Like I was mm-hmm. talking about Jasmine Guillory earlier mm-hmm. and, you know, her, her having, you know, her being a black author and her um, characters being, being black. Like I, I've, she talks about the experiences of these characters and the, Uh you know, the, the challenges and the celebrations. And like, there's so many things that like, I have never experienced in my life. And there's several authors, like, you know, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now um, that, you know, like they talk about all these different in fiction books, like, you know, it's something as simple as like a romance novel, right. They talk about so many different perspectives and so many different ways of life that I never would have like quote unquote experienced like without reading those books. And it's helped me one, like gain more empathy, but gain more understanding for the human experience. And, you know, that like, not everyone is like me and, you know, like not everyone has had the same experiences as me. Um, And, you know, like reading a book about someone losing a parent or a spouse, like the empathy that that gives you to better understand a friend or a family member who has experienced that kind of thing. You know what I mean? And like, sometimes it's easier to read a fiction book about that and have a better understanding than read somebody's like self-help novel about it. Yeah, um, self-help novels are hard to read. They are, they are. Um, I would prefer reading like a fiction book or a memoir about the same topic yeah. because it's, it's a lot, it feels a lot more authentic to take in, you know? So let me ask you this to close out. Mm-hmm. Are you reading anything right now? Right now. So I have on my nightstand. Um, hold on. I'm pulling up my Goodreads because. Um, Nerd. Oh, shut up. <laughs> um, so I am reading a. Oh, I'm about to start um, a Jasmine Guillory book. Um, it's her latest one. I keep, I say I'm about to start. I keep like starting it um, and like. I'm just too distracted. And so I'm like, I'm going to like me and my boss are flying to Atlanta for work tomorrow. So I'm like, I'm going to like, if I started on the plane, I'll get far enough into it that like I'm in it now. Um, and so, so it's called while we were dating and it's just her, it's her latest book. Um, and then I bought, um, so rupee, cower car. I'm, I'm so terrible with pronunciations of people's names Mm -hmm. and I hate pronouncing people's names on here because I know that I probably butcher them. Um, but she is a poet. Um, and I found a collection of like three of her books. I think, I don't know if it's all three of her books. Mm -hmm. Um, it is, it's all three of her books. So it's milk and honey, the sun and her flowers and homebody. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're all beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And like, I've always like really enjoyed poetry. So, um, I'm reading the sun and her flowers right now. Um, but that, I don't, I don't consider that like a, like I can read that, you know, along with, um, the Jasmine yeah, Guillory yeah. book, but I've been reading a lot of nonfiction. And so now I'm like, okay, you know what? It's fiction time. And, um, all of the contemporary romance, uh, novel writers, authors, whatever 
they are releasing or have just released all of their Christmas romance books. Mm -hmm. So I'm about to dive into those. (laughs) I saw that visceral reaction to what I just said. I thought you were going to (laughs) puke. Well, I hate that for you. That's okay. You're allowed to. Um, But, you know, like it just, it just brings me some joy. So that's what, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm reading 50 art, modern art movements to know right now, which is a really easy read. Mm-hmm. It's just a basically like a Wikipedia plot synopsis of 50 modern art movements after romanticism. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to finish a Soren Kierkegaard book that I, it's just a real trudge. I kind of already know the ending, but I'm making myself mm-hmm. finish it for the sake of finishing it. Mm-hmm. Um and then I've got a biography of Che Guevara that has been just gathering dust for two years. That is like 400 pages that I'm going to start. And mm-hmm. since I need to read more fiction, I'm going to read, I actually have it right here. Devil in the White City. It is so good. Um, everybody said that. And I know it talks about the World's Fair of that year, which mm-hmm. I love a good World's Fair. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to go to back in time to certain World's Fairs. Yeah. Um, but um, I think I think you'll enjoy that. And allegedly, um, uh, Martin Scorsese is making it into a film. Yeah, I saw that. I think it's kind Leonardo of Leonardo DiCaprio in- starring, but it's yeah. been stuck for a while. I mean, I'm sure COVID had something to do with it. And- I mean, Martin Scorsese has such a problem. This is such a weird thing to end a book podcast on. But <laughs> Martin Scorsese has a real problem in making movies that are not mob movies because he is so successful at right. making movies like the movie Silence. I don't know if you ever saw that, the Martin Scorsese movie Silence. Yes. yes. About being a Jesuit missionary in mm-hmm. Japan, mm-hmm. which is a great movie. I'll never watch it. it. It's oh. way too long and depressing yeah that's fair it isn't it isn't like an exciting happy i loved it but like i'm not i'll probably never sit down and watch it again it's just it's such a commitment but like that's fair for 10 years yeah um so i'll be interested to see if that gets made or not but um yeah i i can't wait to read it it's such a pivotal point in american history that world's fair Mm -hmm. i mean uh, literal cowboys and cow hands right what wild west gun shooters rubbing shoulders with like metropolitan <laughs> chicago right yeah it's a good one you'll have to let me know what you think about it i uh, will do that all right well thank you again so much for taking time out of your day and talking about books and communism and church culture and all the Listen, other things that we I always <laughs> am looking for someone i have a friend that when he calls me no matter what we start talking about we end up talking about church culture like i am always looking <laughs> to talk about evangelical church culture and yeah. communism and ray brad well and here we are we did it all so. <laughs> we did. i made i made a list little did you know you played right into my hand perfect i'll like, just make a list of the things i want to talk about oh my god all right thank you all right later All right. Well, that is all that I have for you guys this week. Um, Thank you again so much for listening. I hope you, um, if nothing else, maybe got some books to add to your to be read list. Um, And, you know, hopefully there was a little something for everyone. Um, And if you have any questions about anything we talked about, um, you know, Jacob did give you his Twitter handle um, at Jacob disagrees. So uh, feel free to to reach out to him about anything that he talked about um, or you guys know where to find me. Um, so again, as always, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Um, 
It really, uh, all of your feedback and input every week is so greatly appreciated. Um, you know, always sharing my stuff on social media and subscribing, leaving me ratings and reviews. I greatly appreciate it. And so I uh, will see you guys next week.